Coming to you from the heart of Brussels, this is Sparkplug, a podcast bringing you the stories of the go-getters driving the entrepreneurial spirit that's been transforming the city these past years. I'm your host, Marguerite, and today we're talking to Chloe, co-founder of Brussels Kitchen. Whether you're looking for a nice place to go for a date or showing off the city to visiting friends, you know the struggle of finding the perfect place to go. In Brussels, the options can be overwhelming, but the best spots are not going to be in tourist guides. While its hidden gems are definitely part of the charm that make this city, sometimes you may just need a little local help. Well, in come Chloe and Sarah. Passionate about food and in love with Brussels, they've been compiling the best places to eat out in style for the past five years. Their website, Brussels Kitchen has over 200 places that have been hand-picked, tested, and approved by Chloe and Sarah for combining both great cuisine and beautiful interiors. Whether they be bars, restaurants, lunch spots, cafes, or even Michelin-starred restaurants, the website gives you a glimpse of what you can expect in terms of food and vibe. No ratings, no personal stories, just the information you need with Brussels Kitchen quality guaranteed. We met in first year at Tacombe and um, we became really, really close friends. And uh, we, like, one thing that we had in common was definitely our interest and passion for food. The actual year that we went on holidays together for two weeks with both our boyfriends, that's how close we were. And we just started talking about the idea of the website and it was really natural for both of us. Sarah uh, and I already knew lots of places where to eat in Brussels and we actually spent mo- most of our money on that. And so we thought it would make sense that we that we built a blog around best places to eat in Brussels. And as we already had like a, a lot of fashion blogs that we read ourselves, we kind of had really high standards of what we wanted to do. So from the very beginning, we thought, okay, this is going to be HD pictures. This is going to be French and English. And if we do it, we want to do it well. Chloe and Sarah were still studying interior design and architecture when they decided to launch Brussels Kitchen. So this was way before Chloe knew anything about marketing before they even had their Instagram account. Brussels Kitchen began to grow the old-fashioned way, with a Facebook page and a newsletter. And yeah, people were talking about it because there was, there was no such thing in Brussels that would actually recommend places to eat with such high-quality photos and, and, you know, like, not personal text. I mean, personal text, but not based on, like, personal opinion. We really tried to make them as objective as we could. And from the very beginning, we decided that if we thought the place was not... A place we would recommend we just wouldn't write about it so it was really positive and the restaurants themselves started you know sharing what we would write about them so that also contributed to the communication in the beginning it was always trying to mix two cri- different criterias which were really important to us it was one was the food obviously but the second one was the interior and the atmosphere it's like if you go on TripAdvisor or on Yelp or things like that first I mean that's probably just in Belgium the TripAdvisor you feel it's it's got a very touristy vibe to it so the places that are most known or recommended on TripAdvisor, like at Grand Place in the center, and those are not the best places at all. So for me, it's something you couldn't trust. And back then, we didn't really have Yelp as good as now. We didn't have the community manager it had last year who actually you know, made it what it was. And so it was either a platform like that or nothing. And so people started trusting our recommendations. And if people start you know, going to the places that we recommend and see that you know, they, they're happy about it and then they start trusting us and they start thinking, okay, so this has been like 
five places I've gone to recommended by Brussels Kitchen. Now I know that Brussels Kitchen is going to recommend places I like. And so it's it's grown like this, I think. And people who use our website are usually people, you know, our age, but also a bit older and people looking for for that kind of mix, you know, like the headline of our book is places with style. So it's it's not only about food, it's about eating food in a nice place, a place that you want to take, you know, your boyfriend to, your best friend to, something like that. Looking back now, do you think that you started Brussels Kitchen at just the right time? But I mean, that's the advantage of Brussels, I guess, is that you kind of always started at the right time because even now there are not that that many websites. It's it's just it's not London, it's not Paris. The competition is not the same. So we've got all of this space before us, and we can do anything. Now the question is, for me, the question is: Is there enough audience to do everything? Because obviously people are looking to go eat in nice places, and I think that's still something that it's going to work. But what I'm what I'm talking about is more like um, events, like pop up restaurants, things like that, things that are really specific. And I still think that the audience in Brussels is not as foodie as the one in London or Paris. So things still need to be really, um, how would you say, like easy for people. It shouldn't be too expensive. It shouldn't be too narrow. It shouldn't be too niche. So would you say you've influenced the recent foodie scene happening in Brussels? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but definitely. I know that a lot of places, I mean, they have told us in the past that they get like, I don't know, like five, ten customers a week saying that they come from Brussels Kitchen still now. And I know that a lot of places that since we have published them on our website say that they are fully booked. That's also the, um, the reason why we do this is because there are so many really good chefs it's really different to be a chef than to be someone who handles communications. And now the area that we're living in, when you open a restaurant, you're actually supposed to be able to do everything, whether it's being you know, a chef, an interior designer, um, a good mixologist, a bartender, a communication, whatever, PR. So some chefs are just really good and they have really good intuition in what they do, but they are not that famous. And then when you put them on the map, it's like they just deserve it and we feel like we did a good job. That's, that's what we like. That's why we do it, honestly. That's whenever we get like feedback of people saying, okay, we ate there because of Brussels Kitchen or, you know, we, I was full on Saturday night because of you guys. It's just, it's great. But it, it still feels weird though because you see that you have, what, almost 13,000 followers on Facebook and, and we see the visits daily, right? But we don't know these people. So it's all numbers. And it's still like whenever we actually meet someone who greets us in a restaurant because it happens, even though it's not that often, and they come up to us and they say, oh, you're the girls from Brussels Kitchen. Like, thank you so much. I've discovered my city again and this and this. And you're like, oh, my God, those people are real. You know, it's not just numbers. People are actually using the website. And of course they are, you know, but um, it, still, it still feels really nice when you meet them in person. Brussels Kitchen really turned into an entire concept when they organized their first event, a pop-up restaurant called Eat Color. The opportunity arose when their friend from school, who was organizing Design September at the time and liked the work of Brussels Kitchen, proposed they be the food highlight of the design festival. Inspired by the monochrome photographs of artist Sophie Cal, Eat Color brings together multiple chefs to offer an entire dinner in just one color. They were able to transform a hotel storage space and create a truly unique experience. On top of this, Chloe was also launching a food delivery and takeout service called Take It Easy, having been one of the teams selected by NestUp, the first and only startup incubator in Belgium at the time. All of this was happening during Chloe's last year at university, 
while she still had a thesis to write. In parallel, Sarah was on a different journey, though food-related nonetheless. Eventually, they both reached a crossroad in their lives and chose to continue on the same path together. She graduated uh, a year earlier than me because uh, I stopped school for a year. And she started working in an um, architecture office. And she really didn't like it. It was, I think it was really hard for her for multiple reasons. One of them was there was simply no match between her and, uh, and the boss. And I think it was like a living hell for her to work there. So it lasted six months and then she left. I think from that one experience, she kind of, you know, figured out that she just didn't want to work in that area anymore. She was so interested in food and we had, we had been doing Brussels Kitchen for like almost three years then. So she knew that that was definitely a field that she felt more comfortable in. And back then she was reading so many cookbooks already. And so she saw that there was like an opening at Henri Agnès uh, in Schumann for a help in the kitchen and a help in the restaurant. And she applied and she got the job. And so she learned, she learned to cook in the kitchen. So, she, you know, just helping at first and then becoming actually the head chef and then the manager and, you know, running the, the whole restaurant by herself. And three years later, she had just an amazing experience in that restaurant. And she had become really, really focused on food. So she was cooking more than ever, even though that's what she spent most of her, you know, work time doing. She would still come home and cook. So... And that's something that we shared because even even then, for my part, when I when I launched Take It Easy, there was something I really had at heart. It was to allow people to order from good restaurants, and so that's still something I really wanted to do. Is to when we had we still had the same values, even though she was cooking and I was enabling people to order. It was still about good food. It was always about good food. And so she worked there for three years, and then when um, when Take It Easy went bankrupt, and I and I called her and. She was still at Oyenes for I think like a month or something, and then a month later she called me and she's like, and she said, okay, I left. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's you know, let's go back on Brussels Kitchen. Let's do it for real, hundred percent. And she was like, okay, she was really excited, and we were both really excited because for all those time, all those years where she was working at Oyenes and I was doing Take It Easy, we all we still had a part of us that was like, okay, we could have done something great out of Brussels Kitchen and not be just, I mean, not just. A blog. I mean, last year we decided that okay, this would be like our job, so we actually needed to to make it um, sustainable for ourselves, right? We couldn't just do one event every six months and make money out of it. We needed to make the website itself sustainable. So we started thinking of ways to to you know finding partners, finding sponsors. But to find pa partners and sponsors, you have to have enough traffic on your website first. And to have enough traffic, you have to be consistent, and you know you have to be regular. So we started posting two um, two places per week, and then we saw directly we saw the traffic increase so much, and then we started this Instagram account, and then you know we relaunched Facebook and newsletters, and we started doing events and more events and more events, and then we got eventually uh, you know more subscribers in the newsletter, and that's how that's how it worked, and then at some point we got enough you know visits so that we could go and at meet partners and sponsors and say okay here are here are our numbers and we are the number one website in brussels um about restaurants we are so now now it's it's really great because it's been a year and we can live out of brussels kitchen both of us it's it's still really tiny brussels kitchen it's still not something like take it easy or i don't think it will ever be but it's great for us thinking that we know we did it ourselves and we can actually get a salary each month because of that a year of hard work later, you're able to make money with the website thanks to partnerships with San Pellegrino Brussels 
and by redirecting your readers to Deliveroo. We, we try to select ads that make sense. We haven't signed up to, um, how do you call those, like to an ad agency or to, you know, that would just switch ads or to do Google ads. We just want to keep it consistent. So these are the two uh, main partnerships that we have. But at the beginning, when you were holding dinner events in your own homes, the supermarket Deleuze was also a partner. And that was really great. That was really helpful for us because we actually got to organize dinners and have, you know, the food provided, which was, you know, in terms of budget, a really big help. And um, I'm so glad that we did that. But in the end, we realized that if we wanted to be consistent with the things that we wanted to cook and everything, their, their vegetable and organic offer would, didn't match what we wanted to do on those dinners. So in the end, we just stopped working with them. And it's, it's nothing against them. It's just that in the end, we, re we just realized that at least half of the groceries came from other stores anyway because we couldn't find what we wanted. So it's also about, you know, drawing the line whether you just force yourself to work with things that are provided for free or you just, you know, say, okay, this is what I want to do and I'm going to have to pay for it, but I'm just going to find another way to make money out of it. Whether it's in terms of, you know, quality of design, the quality of food, of um, respecting our partners, it's really... That's a really strong one, you know, the idea too that we work with someone, we don't want to just bypass them and work with another brand just because they sponsor us, sponsor us more. We just, we just want to be authentic, whatever we do. And that's also a reason why, for instance, um, something I haven't said before, but we never go eating on invitation, never. Because we did it a few times and we always regretted it because it was always some kind of pressure that we had to write something positive even though we're disappointed so we just never do that anymore so we it's something that we really strongly agree on both of us that we rather pay our bills and even pay like a really expensive price but to write something authentic rather than the opposite you and sarah have always been united by the same values but your personalities are very different how did they complement each other and how did they clash i'm more on the you know, let's do this kind of kind of side and kind of attitude and, okay, we can conquer the world in a few days. And sometimes I maybe push too hard and she's got a more realistic sense of things saying, okay, um, it's not going to happen because of this and this and this. We should push back the deadline. And I think sometimes it's more realistic, so it's good. Sometimes it's just more scared, maybe. I don't know if that's the word. But uh, we've managed to, you know, combine both these different strengths. It's also difficult because at the very beginning we started as, you know, equal partners. And really fast it, it came up that I was more of a leading person and leading personality. But as we were co-founders and equal, it, was, it wasn't easy to just, you know, um, put that out in the open. So I would ask her nicely to do things and I was walking on eggshells because I didn't want to seem like I was actually the one asking, you know, these kind of things. And then we figured out that, okay, maybe it was okay that I was leading and it was okay that I would tell her. And so we agreed on that and make everything much easier. But still, you have expectations. And I'm someone, especially this is my personality, but I'm someone extremely demanding. I'm very hard to please, but even myself, I'm always like, this could be better or this could be better. and. I know it can be a really bad thing because then, you know, you're never truly happy and you just always want to make it better. But it's also a really good thing because you're just always trying to reach perfection. Even though perfection never exists, you're always trying to reach better and you just improve yourself all the time. So 
it's really different to you know just be best friends with someone and talk about your boyfriend and your family and whatever thing you want to do during holidays or to talk about work because you, you have expectations from the other one something that you actually never have with friends that at some point we didn't even share you know the fact of just being friends anymore because what is it that we love the most doing when we're just friends is going out to eat right and at some point we're just doing that to work and just going out to eat with the cameras and being okay did you get the shot of this of this of this and that and that was it and after spending you know all the week going out to restaurants it it didn't make much sense so it was not that natural to say okay let's go out friday night you and me you know i think what you have to do and what's most important is to be able to talk about it and um we did we did eventually the fact that you know sometimes there were some tension especially on big events like heat color in 2017 there was there was a lot of tension so we we took the time to really talk about it and we both agreed that you know we were too big friends to you know just let that much tension come in between us so i i would say like if i have something to say about that is that partnering with your best friend is not always the best idea um unless you work with them or unless you know exactly what they are worth in terms of you know um professional qualifications which is not something that you usually know from your friends so unless someone else can really recommend them in terms of professional qualifications I, I, I would say try to avoid working with your friends because even though you share the same values I think sometimes now I think that I wouldn't mind you know especially if you agree on a relationship where someone is leading then I think I wouldn't mind not having all the time the same values as the person by my side because I could just you know say okay these are these are the lines that we draw and We don't want to go further than those lines, but at least you know that you share the same energy and work vision. I think that's most important. In terms of development, you you see where the project wants to be in five years, in ten years. And if you, I think if you, if you don't share that, it's really difficult. Even if you share values, because it can just be about you know eating out in a restaurant and selecting the right restaurants that you want to recommend, but in terms of in terms of project and in terms of where you want to put the business and if you actually want it to become a business that's sustainable then you need to share the same work vision i mean th we came to that realization in a really honest way and like you know we talked about it a lot and and we realized that that's where the tension came from and founding take it easy and working at it so much like with you know all my soul for all these years just made me realize how much i wanted to develop something that i built and I would say for Sarah, it's more about enjoying, you know, and feeling daily, I don't know, daily like pleasures and daily comfort in what we've built. But I was, I'm someone really unsatisfied and I just always wanted to push more. And I had, I had a vision of development that we didn't share. And it was really hard to realize that because whenever I would just talk about development, she would just agree. But, you know, sometimes you have to realize that if it doesn't come from that person, it's not enough to agree. You need to, you need to be challenged as well. And I couldn't be, you know, enough. If you're just two people, you're not enough to drive the other one. It's just, I mean, you can do it, but yourself, you're not going to be challenged. And that's, that for me was, um, yeah, well, was, was not what I expected. I wanted to be challenged by the person that I work with and not, you know, by my brother or my boyfriend when I talk to them about my job, but by my partner. And then after talking about all of that and realizing, you know, all the tension that had been built and 
and being able to just say like everything that we had on our hearts both of us for like a month or so after after the last event we just we just saw each other like that like we we just stopped for a month um having a routine which i think was the best thing we could have done so we stopped meeting at nine o'clock every morning we stopped you know working every day we just said okay let's take some time apart and when we did see each other it was just to talk about you know other things but important things as well like you know families and relationships and things like that so so it was it was really some time off that we needed to take and now we have you know different routine the one where we see each other not every single day of the week one where we accept different projects separately but when we do see each other we're really happy to see each other and we just work on that and we invest our time in that but we're also happy to talk about anything else it's just like you know getting to miss one another it's a bit like in a couple right so you get to miss one another and you're really happy when you see her again and that's that's a trick with a best friend if you're going to work with them it's not going to be like that ever again so I think it was important for us to stop being 100% partners and I, I think it's that's that's the path that we're taking now it took a year of committing to Brussels Kitchen at 100% for Chloe and Sarah to realize they had different visions for the growth of their project. But through genuine communication, they were able to arrive at an honest place for their business, but also for their friendship, and decided they would continue to do what they did best together. They would continue to post two places a week so that Brussels Kitchen would remain the guide for the best places to eat out in style. So, Chloe, if you could go back and do things differently, is there anything you would change? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I think it's just, it's just that I would change the things I would do in the future, yeah, because of what I've learned. Working with Sarah has taught me a lot of things about myself. It has taught me a lot of things about working with, with partners, so I think that was, that was an important learning, so I wouldn't go back and change that. And even now, we share so many things in terms of food, in terms of values, that... I would still want to work with her for, for things that I know work. But yeah, I, I'm definitely looking to work with different people also in the future. As for Sarah, she's back to cooking now more than ever. She's even being trained by Chef Paul Grégoire, and you'll likely be able to book a cooking class with her sooner than you think. Chloe, on her side, has had lots of consultancy requests for restaurants, startups, and for communication advice. But as we now know her, She'll continue her never-ending quest for her next big project. How do you feel now looking back on these more difficult times? I guess I'm happy with them. Like, when I, when I said that Eat Color in 2013 was such a success, and we did it again in 2017, and it was, not, it was not as much of a success. I mean, the event was full, and people who came to it were truly happy about it, so you could say it's a success. But for me, it wasn't because first, it, it was not sustainable at all. It took us so much energy that somehow wasn't worth it. And um, there were so many aspects that we could have improved that we were not conscious of. And that if we, I mean, now that we have those two experiences and if we wanted to do it a third time, we could really combine the success and the failures and everything and make the perfect event. So I would say, I would say I'm grateful for it somehow, you know, even though it wasn't a success. I'm grateful because I learned why it wasn't a success. And also, it made me see how working together with Sarah, with different work visions, was difficult. And so it also helped us realize that we weren't in for the same things. How much of your success would you attribute to just plain luck? I, I don't believe in luck. I, 
don't mean to be arrogant again, but I don't believe in luck. I believe I believe we worked for it. And like the past year, we've seen so many different brands and had so many professional meetings and you know made so many decks with numbers with presentations with whatever we could do and called so many people to help us out i don't think it's luck because there's a reason why people work with you and no one is doing that to be nice no one it's just no one is there to be a friend it's just it it makes sense for them to work with you because you do something for them so either it's because the picture is a really good quality because the texts are really good or because it makes sense for them to be on your website because you have enough traffic for it but i don't think it's luck <laughs> i would say hard work and um, consistency yeah what would you like to see develop for the restaurant scene in brussels brussels is is made in a way that is really irregular so you get like four communes areas where people go out to eat a lot and then the rest of the of the 19 are just really residential areas and so you don't get that many restaurants popping up in Ouluwe or in you know Etterbeek or Scarbeek or Odergem you know it's it's all about Ixelles and Saint-Gilles in the center right now it's only three of them so I would really hope for that to develop and um, there are still so many cuisines that I don't see in Brussels And for instance, we have so many good Italians, like we really do, we have really great Italians. If you look on Brussels Kitchen, you get at least 20, they're really, really good. But we just had dim sums in Brussels like two years ago only. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> so it's probably also about, you know, immigrants or, you know, people who brought their cuisine. But now it's not about that anymore. Now it's about 30-year-olds opening their own concepts and there are still so many missing. So I'm just really hoping to see Mexican food pop up. I'm hoping to see great Indian food in a stylish place and not in the, all those Indian restaurants that you rather, you know, get takeout from. And um, there are still so many cuisines where you don't want to go eat on the premises and rather take out the food because it just doesn't match. And you go to Paris and you go to London and you've got the most stylish Indian restaurants that even have Michelin stars or, you know, the concepts are so cool and you get cocktails and everything. That still has to develop for me. And um, even the cocktail scene, like, it's still not that much. Like, you're just like, okay, we still have maybe like two or three really cool cocktail bars, but that's it. So we still need more things. I mean, I need more things. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably also because, you know, I've traveled so much to other um, European capitals in the past few years that whenever I come home, it's a bit frustrating. And there are really good restaurants who start doing really good things now, but it's like every Friday... I call every single restaurant that is on brusselskitchen.com and they are full, fully booked every single time. I can't help but think that you're a little bit to blame. I don't know. It's just the fact that, you know, all the good ones are taken because I think what we need is restaurants that don't take reservations. Yeah, like you just queue for 30 minutes, but that's fine. I mean, it's part of the concept, but at least because our generation doesn't book a table in advance. So it's kind of unfair somehow. Like, and do you think the Bruxellois is ready for that? I don't think so, but I, I don't really, like, I think you can, you know, push them a little bit. Maybe it's going to be like a really progressive and slow switch to that. But for restaurants that work, it shouldn't be a problem. It's about having new neighborhoods popping up with, you know, new trending neighborhoods that should become the place to go. I think a good example is um, the work of Frédéric Nicolai. You know who he is, right? He's the one who opened the Belga like 20 years ago. And all the bars that you can think of in Brussels like the bars in Saint-Gilles, uh, the bar du Matin, the Potemkin, uh, all those big bars, they're, they're from him. They work really well, and 
what he did was not open one, but open three or four in the same area. And so, for instance, if you went to Rue Antoine Dansart five years ago, there was nothing there, and you would never have walked all the way into the canal. But now you have Barbeton, you have Kimiko, you have Walvis, and Officina, you have five right around one block. And the place is always filled with people that, that are in their 30s, millennials, going there for drinks. It's just, he's changed the neighborhood. And so I think, yeah, you could do that in different communities. You just have, you just have to really do it and to not just do one place, to do more. And there has to be more and more and more until the, until the community, until the area becomes a place that you really want to go to. Because people in Brussels will not, you know, travel just for one spot or really rarely. So for people to go there, I think you need more than just one good restaurant. You need to have, you know, cafes where you can hang out the whole day. You need to have cool shops. You need to have, you know, everything. So they, they need to grow, but not just, it shouldn't come from just one person. It should be like a, like a trend. And in the Brussels Kitchen universe, Sarah and Chloe are working on coming out with another book. You can keep an eye out for a mobile version of their website that will include geolocalization and a map to help you when you're looking for a place to go when out on the town. And you can always find them every month at the Brussels Kitchen Brunch Club for a unique seven-course vegetarian menu paired with natural wines. Discover seven different Brussels-based chefs each time in a cozy Sunday morning kind of atmosphere. Really fun. You should come. If you want to become a successful entrepreneur, you often have to beat the odds and embrace learning experiences disguised as failures along the way. You may need to risk failure and even an important friendship in order to get your business off the ground. But the most important is to start somewhere, anywhere. Find something you like to do and just do it. You can find all the restaurant recommendations on brusselskitchen.com. You can find our book in every good bookstore and FNAC and Amazon, all the big ones as well. And also, most of all, you can find it on our website and order it directly there. Same for Instagram, Facebook. It's always Brussels Kitchen. And to have everything in your mailbox, you can sign up to a newsletter on the website directly. The music from this episode was composed by Lou Indigo, musician and teacher. If you're looking to take music lessons here in Brussels, you can find him on Facebook at Lukalele Music Academy. You can find Sparkplug on Facebook and Instagram at Sparkplug Brussels and on sparkplugbrussels.com. Leaving you with a full heart and a heart full of Brussels. Thanks for listening.